So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day. Okay, got a, a review here from STL Johnson. Five stars, labeled best podcast for realtors by far. F-A-R, all caps, 10 explanation points. Thank you. This is awesome. I've been a realtor since 2011, and I wish I had this knowledge available to me when I started. You can basically get your MBA in real estate by listening to one or two episodes a day. Take this knowledge along with you, as well as the knowledge you'll get at Bigger Pockets Podcast, and you're going to create the life that you want. Thank you, STL Johnson. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast, so give me a one-star review if you want. Or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. All right, Rockstar Nation. I got a great returning guest today. This woman is hard, hard to get on the show because she is so busy, and I'm glad she found time and respects the real estate rock star community enough to say, I want to come back and give some free, important content and discussion. Kathy Fetke is on the show, and Kathy was on twice. She was on way back in the 200s, episode 299, and uh, then she was again at 487, so it's been well over a year, maybe two years, close to, since she's been on. And we're going to dig deep into some great stuff today, including opportunity zones. You may have heard about this, the new real estate buzzword uh, with the tax code, many varying opinions on it. So we're going to kind of get to the bottom there. And then uh, we're also going to talk about markets that are starting to crunch and all things real estate and buying real estate and working with real estate investors and real estate buyers. So without further ado, Kathy Fetke, welcome back to Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, Kathy, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself so they get to know you better? Sure. I'm co-CEO of Real Wealth Network. We represent about 40,000 members. Uh, We help people uh, find the best markets in the U.S. Our our website has just really amazing data that I know a lot of uh, hedge funds borrow from, Uh, data on different cities and what's happening there because we follow jobs, because people follow jobs and they need housing and, uh, and real estate. So... Uh, lots of data there for you, and and then within the different markets around the country, we have teams uh, that can help you find a property, renovate it, manage it for uh, you know kind of a done for you investment. Yep, awesome. You know, everybody follows the jobs, right? Real estate is all about jobs, at least it's supposed to be, and uh, or I should say, ascension of prices generally should follow ascension of jobs. Uh, Sometimes it comes out a lot slower than everyone thinks and the papers make it out to be a lot more than it actually 
does, but generally the prices going up follow jobs and prices going down follow companies that pull out of town. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So let's, let's talk about this. So, so first of all, let's jump into what we need to know about opportunity zones. What the hell is an opportunity zone? Well, it is a very exciting new opportunity that nobody really understands yet. (laughs) So let's put it that way. Um, It's part of the new jobs. uh, I'm sorry, tax law uh, that, you know, came out last year, last December on the, I think the last day of the year. And basically cities were able to designate uh, these opportunity zones, which are underdeveloped areas, areas that need investor dollars. Uh, And the new tax law basically says that if you invest in these areas uh, with gain that you have right now, then the new gain on the new property, if you hold it for 10 years, you pay no tax on it. So it's a little complicated right now, but basically the way it's different than a 1031 exchange, because we've, we've always had that where you can have a property, sell it and take all that gain, take, take all the money and uh, reinvest it in another property. And that, uh, you know, basically delays your payment of taxes. And if you keep doing that, uh, then at some point when you die, uh, you don't pay it. And then your kids inherit the property and they don't pay it. So you can basically defer your taxes forever through the 1031 exchange. And that's pretty fantastic. That actually survived the tax law. No changes there. But uh, the opportunity zones is all of that and more, meaning, meaning that it doesn't have to be like kind. You can sell a stock, you can sell a business or real estate and take that gain and invest it in an opportunity zone. And then you will eventually have to pay tax on the gain, but not until 2026. So it's deferred, but you will have to pay tax on the gain uh, that you, you know, that you transfer in, in 2026. But the investment... Wait a minute, regardless uh, of whether you sell or not? I believe so. That The tax code, I mean, I'm not a CPA, and even if you call the CPA, they wouldn't be able to give you the answer because the final description of this, the final code has not been released, but it should be by the end of the month. But you want to get ready and you want to gear up for this because it's a big, big deal. Um, so, so basically what you're saying is, so instead of 1031-ing it, uh, you can mix it with, with sale of some Amazon stock. You can mix it with sale of a business, whatever. You plug it into an opportunity zone, which is generally an area with a long days on the market, let's just say, right? A, a massive months of inventory, right? It's just it's low just income. No, area. it's really not. No, 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 not at all. It's a, just a low income area in the U.S., an area that um, the government wants to see investor dollars. We, we, if, you, if you go to Chicago, and I just got back yesterday, uh, all you'll see is cranes. There's like 85 new high-end condos. We don't need any more high-end condos. That market is slowing down. The high-end is really coming to a standstill for the most part in the U.S. in most markets because it was overbuilt. Too much mm. investor money went there. And it they're still building, though. And still building and more coming online. Everybody's so, buying cla- uh, building class A stuff, right? They're building these high-rise they apartments. They, they can't build affordable uh, because costs have gone up. So they're bringing, you know, the cost of labor costs and material costs and permit fees and building fees and now interest rates. Everything's going up. So builders haven't been able to bring in this affordable housing. They have not been able to build in these areas where it's actually needed. So the government said, all right, they snuck this in at literally the last hour, maybe the last minute. 
this new tax law got in. And it's still being defined. It's still misunderstood. It's not understood because it's not finalized. But the basic idea is let's get those investor dollars into the areas that need it, which are these underdeveloped areas. If you just go right outside of Chicago, and I just, I mean, still within Chicago, but let's say you go to the south side or the west, and I'm picking on Chicago because I was literally just there looking at opportunity zones. There are areas where the buildings are older. They're in need of repair. Uh, there's still some vacant buildings. Inve investor dollars can go into these certain designated areas now, buy these buildings, fix them up, and then get these enormous tax benefits. And that, that the beauty of it is whatever you buy, let's say you buy a building in the south side of Chicago and, uh, and increase the value of that property. And you do it and I do it and my whole network of 40,000 people do it. And we go into an area and we improve it. What do you think it's going to do? It's going to improve the value overall of that area. Sorry, there's a helicopter going by. Uh, so... It will most likely increase the value of your property and that capital gain if you hold that property 10 years you pay zero tax none uh, right. so that's so that's so if you if you move let's just use round numbers let's say you take 100 grand you put it in an opportunity zone the the and, and you made that 100 grand on non-real estate just to make this easy to understand and yeah so you defer for 10 years the capital gains tax federal and state correct I'm not sure about state. I, I know federal for sure. Okay. But. So let's just say you defer the federal. Mm -hmm. 1031, you defer both, right? So I don't know about California. <laughs> I don't know. Really? They're, they're want, they want their money. But, uh, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not an accountant, sure? but just yeah. check with your CPA on that. Um, okay. Um, so you defer the gain for 10 years then you got to pay it at the end of 10 years and and i'm pretty sure uh, i saw some accountants talk on this i'm pretty sure you got to pay that at in, in 2026 um, 2026 you have to pay your original gain so if you sell original an gain so yeah. you're deferring it for 10 years which is cool okay so then if it goes up in value that 100 grand is now worth a buck 50 that 50,000 should you sell it in 2026 is exempt from capital gains as well. Is that what you're saying? That, that is. The new gain, so the property you redevelop, any gain you get from that, if you hold it 10 years, you don't pay tax on it. If you sell it before 10 years, uh, there would be cap tax, but it, it may be less than normal. Um, and then on the original gain, again, let's say you sold a stock and you made $100,000 gain on that. Uh, if you held it, for the full 10 years, then you would also get a 15% step up in basis on that. So it would only, you'd only be paying tax on 85,000 out of the $100,000 gain. So you kind of get a benefit on both sides. Uh, but it's, it's just very, very exciting. There's also like a partial benefit if you hold it five years, I believe. A little one. It's like, yeah, it's like 10% or something. So yeah, not, it's, it's, yeah. it's like not even barely worth mentioning because that was kind of the audience's reaction to that was like what yeah, yeah. you know like what, not that's great. nothing you know it's not worth it because you're gonna here's the thing at the end of the day you're gonna take a big risk you know what i mean it's not to say this is going to be a risk-free investment because you're basically you know going into the ghetto and buying real estate right um and and so uh, you know our business you can do a business too or business right mm -hmm. so there's risk involved 
to this? There's definitely risk. You, that's unfortunately, like with a go zone after Hurricane Katrina, uh, we had amazing tax benefits then too. And a lot of people invested and, and lost money because you never want to invest just for tax benefits. That's a, that's a bad, bad idea. You want to invest because the investment makes sense. And if it just happens to be an opportunity zone, better yet. So what, what was interesting is that I was already going to Chicago to look at investments that we're already doing. We're already getting amazing cash flow in these certain neighborhoods. There's parts of south side of Chicago you don't want to be going to. It's, it's going to take a long time for those to ever redevelop and it's high crime and be dangerous for some of us to even just go collect rent. So there's certain areas, no matter what the tax benefits, you probably, most people shouldn't do it. Uh, but then there's other areas where we're already there because we already see the growth. We see the Obama library coming in and uh, the, the university expanding. And so we were already investing in these areas. And, and then we get this additional tax benefit. That's when it makes sense. Same with my daughter. This, this was so amazing. She lives in Chico uh, up in California. This is our little secret. Uh, you and me and I guess all your listeners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but little Chico State, little, little college town in Northern California. It is in desperate need of housing, uh, rental properties. So my daughter and I have already been, you know, got this little side business going where we're buying properties and, and uh, fixing them up and renting them. And, and it turns out a bunch of those neighborhoods are now in the opportunity zone, which is they're, they're not ghetto at all. They're not low Yeah, well, that's either. the thing. I was yeah. thinking about that. Somebody, I went to a, a, a small college of 4,000 kids, and it was, uh, it's called Frostburg, Maryland, Frostburg State College. And the entire zip code of Frostburg is an opportunity zone. And it's not, it's not a ghetto by any means, right? It's yeah. just a very rural, you can't get there without crossing over several mountains. So it's very rural. So there's just not a lot of money other than what the college is bringing in. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? The entire island of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone. So, and you already have a lot of people who are looking at Puerto Rico because we know there's opportunity. Uh, there's lots of opportunity to, to rebuild. But also, there's the, the tax law there that if you live there or have a business there, uh, you pay very, very little, very little tax. So already people are going there. Uh, but now you can take advantage of the opportunity zone in Puerto Rico and not have to live there and get some great tax benefits. Yeah, but the, the, you awesome. know, the great benefit is there's a lot of people who are a little freaked out by the stock market ups and downs, certainly of last week. And uh, didn't really want to pay that capital gain right now if they sell. So this is definitely an option uh, to, to be able to sell some stock that maybe you're just not comfortable having anymore and, and investing that in real estate. But you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to work with the yeah, right. Yeah, you've got to know what you're doing, you know, I mean, because any opportunity zone is going to be an opportunity zone for a reason. I mean, yeah. chances are there may be a reason or, or, you know, that Chico State is in an opportunity zone, right? I mean, there's, there's a reason. A Frostburg State... The, the zip code is in an opportunity zone because the houses just don't sell, right? They sit on the market for two or three years. The return is incredible for investors, but you just can't sell them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, which is odd. You can only sell them to other investors. Let's put it that way. And again, you know, that's just, just not the case with Chico. I think it, they went with income levels or, uh, you know, there's, there's a kind of a, a lot of meth heads there in, in uh, some of the outerlying areas, but not in these particular neighborhoods. So in some cases, the zoning was just a little bit off. Hmm. So it's just, it's worth looking and seeing if an area that you already see potential and you already see uh, maybe a job, 
this, this would be the ideal situation. You already know that a company is planning to move to a certain area because they want there you to go. plant. Right. You know, it makes it, like, right? that's, a, that's a done yeah. deal, right? You got an opportunity yeah. zone. You got a gain, right, that yeah. you want to defer. And you got a proof uh, that jobs are coming in. It's in what my friend Tim Rode calls the path of growth. Then it yeah. becomes a no-brainer. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So that's, that's what I was so excited about is that a lot of the areas where we're already investing and helping other investors get into are now, there's now an added benefit. So, uh, you know, it's great. But boy, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of your listeners might be in Canada or are they just all over the world? Uh, we have a decent, uh, we have uh, like, uh, like uh, we about 8% right now and in, in, uh, it's gradually gone up, but so about 8% and then about 5% is from other countries and majority okay. of them from U.S. Amazing read for agents who want to blow their business up. Six steps to seven figures was an amazing read. Pat breaks it down into simple, actionable steps that have taken will almost guarantee seven-figure success in the real estate sales business. Couldn't recommend this enough. Wow, thank you for the awesome Amazon review, Garo215. Now, do you want to get your hands on this book for free and blow your business up? Here's how. Go to freesixstepsbook.com. That's free, S-I-X, stepsbook.com right now. Or simply text the word PAT. 2444999. That's text Pat to 4444999 and I'll send you a free book. Okay, well the, the reason I just brought that up is that I also have my podcast and I have listeners all over the, the world and we had a lot of Australian uh, listeners and they have a, just a different, and they're very trusting and, and what they didn't realize is that the U.S. is such a different country. Uh, there, are, there are pockets where, you know, it's really just not safe. And, and they're, they're not used to that because they don't really have that high crime in Australia, at least a lot of the investors that I worked with. So they didn't know. They would look at a property on the Internet and say, wow, this looks great, and not know that it was in a really, really rough part of town. They wouldn't even know to look, up, look that up. So you've just got to make sure that if you're not familiar with an area, that you have somebody local on the ground that will help you understand, uh, you know, this, this area is up and coming or not. Because if it's high crime, it can take years, years for that area to ever, ever redevelop. And sometimes they never do. Yeah, and sometimes they do, and then they fall apart. I mean, that happened in Baltimore City in a bunch of places. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like they gentrified, and then they ungentrified. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting, though, you know. So, anyway, so, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about what you're seeing in different areas of the country and, and sure. as far as markets go. Uh, my biggest concern right now for for the U.S. is not single-family housing. The, the housing market is, in my opinion, on solid ground, um, quite literally. Uh, I guess unless you were in Panama City this this last week has been... Right, yeah, long. I got a buddy that owns a shopping center. They sent me a video last night of it just absolutely crushed. Like, he so has no walls. Oh, yeah, it, it's amazing. But overall, 
if you're not in those flood zones and not in, in the yeah, part right. of, you know, category fives, then uh, we, we have so many Americans who bought property in the last 10 years. They locked in ultra low interest rates, two to 3% interest rates. They bought when prices were maybe a third or a fourth of what they are today. Nobody's walking away from that. If you walk away from your house today, you're probably going to be paying more to rent. So it's not even close to the same scenario as 10 years ago. So many people say, oh my gosh, it's 2018. 2008, 10 years ago was when the housing market collapsed. It's going to happen again. It's it's not because the scenario is so different. We have solid loans. We have people with equity, low interest rates. Interest rates are rising. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I got I to gotta lose this house so I can get a, you know, be in this high interest rate environment or, um, you know, higher rents. So I don't, I mean, foreclosures are at all time lows. I really don't see a problem with single family homes for the most part. What I'm concerned about now is the, the massive amount of money that's pouring into the U.S. Uh, for safety when you've got certain countries that have negative interest rates and somehow that's, that's a thing, uh, where they can come and, and maybe buy an apartment here in the U.S. and barely make any money on it. And, and it's just better than a negative interest rate, I guess. Uh, and, and I see busloads of brand new investors. This is, this is what scares me. It's the multifamily. I see busloads of of um, people learning multifamily from someone who just learned it, someone who maybe just started buying buildings two or three years ago, and now they're teaching others. I, all over. Podcasters, all, too. Podcasters, and I mean, they don't understand we're in a rising interest rate environment. Uh, you know, there's so much more risk. Plus, cap rates are so low. How much lower can they go? Okay, so let me, let me slow you down a little bit. First of all, okay. Okay, so... And, and a lot of this has happened in Canada and, you know, they're starting to see the, the fallout from it. But investors from China, Russia, right? The money comes in. They're just buying something. We had, uh, I talked to an agent recently, uh, just sold three houses to different family members from Turkey, right? Uh, you know, trying to get out of some turmoil in Turkey, right? Just paid cash. Not, don't even plan on living in the United States. You know, so you got this money coming in. You say a lot of it's going to multifamily. Okay, so what is the problem with that? Uh, just the biggest problem that people, there's a lot of newbies. It just comes down to that. Uh, a lot mm. of people out there saying that it's, you know, it's the best investment and it very well could be. I mean, who, who doesn't want a high performing apartment or multifamily <laughs> building? I mean, it's, it's great when it works. Um, it's not great when it doesn't, and I've I've been there and I've learned that lesson the hard way. I just so it's the best long it's the best long term investment. If you buy right, and if you you know understand your capex, if you understand generally foreign foreign buyers are not long termers though. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Like really, you could say like Robert Kiyosaki says, I you know I've never lost money on real estate which is which is bullshit because he says he says that because he's never sold anything so, <laughs> so basically yes it's the best long-term investment maybe you know maybe, what I mean? but right now there's um oversupply there's been too many new new apartments in seattle and dallas and nashville so even if you own an apartment uh, in those cities and it's performed up this, this far, you may start to see rents decline. But too many people are basing their performance on rents rising. And you just can't depend on that at this Yeah, time. I talked to a guy the other day and like he had a, a <coughs> five apartment buildings he sold in South Carolina recently. 
in a very rural area. And he said that he saw the performer from the buyer that bought it because the buyer that bought it raised money in order to buy it. And it showed them adding value to it and raising the rents. And he's like, Pat, he's like, there's no way anybody in this area is going to pay more for rent. There's no value to be added because the people don't want more amenities and don't want to pay a higher rent. He says, it's just not going to happen. I don't know if he's right or wrong, but his point was, you know, you reach a point where you can't keep adding value. And I think a lot of these syndicators are actually putting in their performance. We're going to add value to this and raise the rent. Raise the rent. And it's yeah. got to, there's got to be a, a peak. There's got to be like a tipping point where it's like, you can't do it anymore. At some point, you know, and that tipping point is over 30% of, of income. So that's, that's all you got to do. Just be careful about Wait, investing. Let me stop you there. Cause that's, that's I'm glad you said that. So that tipping point is over 30% of income. So you think that, you know, if the average income is, uh, you know, let's say 50, 30% of 50 is 15,000 divided by 12 is, you know, 1,200, 1,250. You're saying once it, once the average rents equal 1,250, that's a tipping point. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So if, if, if the average income of the area is say $3,000 a month, um, then, then you really, your rents should really be around a thousand. And, and, you know, some places like California, uh, people are spending 70% of their income. So if they're making a hundred thousand dollars, they, they, if they're, if they're making $10,000 a month, they may be spending 5,000 on, on housing and, and places on high priced markets. But again, there's, there's a ceiling and you need to understand what that ceiling is. And, and just like this rural town, if there's other options, you know, people, people may take them. And so, that, that would, would that apply to single family homes as well? Uh, you know, I think the difference is that, yeah, people just be careful of your pro forma and be careful of just assumptions that rents will continue to rise. And I see that so often with these new investors who are raising money from other people. Don't invest with a new first time investor or brand or someone who's only been doing it for the past five or 10 years, unless they have someone on their team who's a, who's an old timer. You know, you, you need to have those wise, wise people who understand, oh, you know what? We also need to, to run this pro forma in the case that rents don't increase or maybe even, God forbid, decline. You know, what, what would it look like? It, what's the stress test here? And can we, you know, can we get through it? Now, again, I've owned an apartment. It was rough. I could go on, on to that. And I was at this multifamily conference over the last three days. And I'm going to tell you, these really high-level multifamily investors who've been doing it 30, 40 years, they're net sellers right now. They're not, they're not buying. They're selling to, the, to these new people who are doing the value adds and so forth and you know, buying these properties at top dollar, thinking they can... Uh, you know, add value and increase rents without looking at any other possibility. And that's, that's a little nerve wracking, yeah. especially when rents are going, when uh, rates are going up. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I would say multifamily rental is an asset class that is more respected now than at any point in history. And that, and so that in itself is scary, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many people in it. So many people in it, multiple bids everywhere. So yeah, but to answer no your question about single family, yeah, I mean it's the same. It's the same thing. You, if somebody's selling you a property, so maybe someone sells you a turn. You know, you see turnkey everywhere, turnkey property, and they 
they uh, tell you what it's renting at now. First and foremost, always verify rents. Always verify rents. It's so easy to do online these days. Almost any site will tell you what the local rents are. You know, even you know Zillow or Rent Range. Just go, just go verify, and then do a rent range. So if if the seller says, oh yeah, you know, we think this is going to rent for a thousand dollars a month, do your checking. Talk to several property managers. Go online and verify, and then run your numbers as if you had to discount potentially could you still hold that property uh, yeah, yeah so right. we, we just we know we're at the top of the market now things could continue to boom i was on your show before and i, I didn't know that we'd have this you know run continued up. run up but if you'd followed my advice you would have still been able to make money and protect yourself so you know you just need to know we're at the top of the market that doesn't mean stop playing absolutely invest we're invested all over the place but just make sure you're doing it in a way that's prepared for a possible turnaround. Yeah, I I like how you you know okay. So I have to figure out the no. I have to do my rentals and see thirty percent of the average income. Of course, you're going to have black swans. You're going to have certain things that that throw it off. Like I bet your college town will throw it off. Like I bet that the rents that you're going to get there are probably more than thirty percent of the average income, and that's just because you know, the college kids are making, working at Starbucks and the <laughs> people yeah. are, are not making money in that town because they're meth heads or, or whatever. But, yeah. and, and if that does happen, then you should say, Hey, okay, well, hmm, is this a black swan and why? But if it's not that 30%, if it's just in a regular old neighborhood in a regular old town, then that 30% is an interesting rule. 30% of your income if the rents, if you really think the rents are, people are going to start paying 40 and 50% of your income, you're probably reading a poor pro forma or, re, or, or being a little too manic about what you can raise the rents to. I mean, you just follow what, um, you know, a lender would do. That's, that's what a lender does. They, yeah, they look, right. You know, it's just, that's how they underwrite. So why wouldn't you? And you really wouldn't want to go much over 40 I mean, again, California is a different animal and certainly, you know, New York, it's like people are used to spending all their money just to live there. But in, in other areas, you know, you just need to be careful. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Another thing that, you know, we were discussing at this conference yesterday, I was on a panel for due diligence, and one of the things that we discussed was, you know, pretty much the performer that you're given when purchasing a property is 
meant so that you'll buy the property. Those numbers aren't right. Just assume they're not accurate. Yeah, uh, they're sales pitches. They're, it's a sales pitch. So you need to look at it almost as a joke and try to prove it wrong uh, when, it, when a broker brings you a pro forma. What they often will cheat on because it's legal, it's just not cool, is they will, they will put on their pro forma when selling it to you, the current taxes. Well, when you buy the property, you're probably paying more for that property than they did, and your taxes are going to be much higher. One of the guys on our panel said when he redid the pro forma to what the taxes would be at the new sales price, which a broker should have put on there, not the existing ones, it was, a, it was like a, another $150,000 or something, and it, it, it greatly affected the NOI. So that's, a, that, that's a big scam if you think about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I and know they do that, it all the time. And, and I know that some jurisdictions or whatever will, you know, do a tax assessment every three years. Others will, others will automatically raise your taxes from the day you move in. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, you just really need to double check everything. One of the things, hard lessons we've learned lately, which, man, I feel like I've learned every hard lesson possible, which is why I love sharing them. So maybe you won't have to. But um, is to, if any work has been done on the property, if they say, oh, you know, we already replaced this or that, just check with the city and, and make sure that they got their permits for that. Because just recently, uh, some of our members in, in Real Wealth Network let me know that they bought a property and uh, found out later that who, the person who sold it to them didn't get permits. And, and the new owner had to, had to redo everything. Everything had to be torn out and redone. And they just didn't know. It looked new. So so, doesn't hurt just to stop by the city or look online and see if permits had been filed for the work that they say was done. Well, tons of people do do that, right? I, I mean, seventy five percent of America finishes their own basement, right? I mean, yeah. And but I guess they'd have to get the inspector has to get in. But maybe the jurisdictions are that. Uh, maybe he just bought he or she just bought in somewhere that's really tight. You know what I mean? That's, that's tough. Yeah, I think they found out this this particular contractor was doing it a lot, and they didn't like. They wanted to put him out of business, so they just started looking up every everything he had done, and uh, just started calling these owners. And they said, "Well, we didn't know we bought it this way." Um, now, and that's rare. I mean, I'm going to say that's probably rare, but you know, why not? Just look it up and see if permits have permits have been filed, and, and if they haven't, maybe you have a negotiating piece for getting the the price a little lower. You know, I talked to somebody else who's a, a, a recently a, a huge buyer of single family homes, and they actually said that they are improving less uh, because a bunch of head fund, hedge funds have, you know, got into the game, as you know, and uh, their, their, their thought is, let's go ahead and value add by improving and making all these places nice. Well, in reality, not all tenants want, you know, to pay more rent. Mm-hmm. or a soaking tub and, you know, marble in the bathroom, you know, as a matter of fact, <laughs> you know, some don't expect central AC, right? right? Some don't expect it to come with a washer and dryer because they've been going to a laundromat their whole life. So don't assume you know what people want and that you're going to improve it and jack up the rent. You know, yeah. it may be area standard just to, to, to leave the washer and dryer out to leave the place as is, to tell them they got to get window air if they want air conditioning and just don't do, be stupid because he said what happens to hedge funds came in, they over-improved these places and now they're selling them all at a loss. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot are, are holding, I, 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 but, but it's a very small percentage of, of the overall rentals in, in America. I think 
I think it's around, I don't know, just 100,000 or so, uh, maybe maybe 200 now, when you have 8 million Americans or 8 million rentals are owned by one person. So you've got 8 million right. landlords out there. A friend of mine uh, created a hedge fund um, investing only in single families. And uh, mm-hmm. I think he told me 8% of all hedge fund money that's in real estate is in single family homes. 92% is in commercial and, mm. and, and, you know, multifamily. A lot of that's mm. a lot of that today is in multifamily because that's the hot area. So do you think there's a lot more room for that? Do you think these guys are smart in um, investing in single families and renting them out on a large scale? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're busier than ever helping investors get into single family rentals because, you know, if you, if you look at demographics, you've, you've really got, um, you know, this, this millennial generation, everybody's talking about that to ad, ad nauseum, but the fact of the matter is they are the largest generation today. Uh, the largest group of them are in their uh, mid to late twenties. So the, usually the, uh, the time that you buy your first home is around 31, but they're saying that these millennials are a little bit delayed, so it might be 32 or 33. But that means that in the next four or five years, there's going to be a huge amount of people maybe looking to buy a home and want to raise their families and get started that way. They, it's hard to raise a family in an apartment. I mean, people do it all the time, but if you could have an apartment versus a backyard for your kids, people will pick the backyard. So you, you have this opportunity now to rent to them when they don't necessarily want to... Uh, to be married and have kids, and then sell the property in, in five to seven years. Plus, as I said, we're really oversupplied right now, really oversupplied. What's that mean? Um, we're really oversupplied um, right now. Too many um, units on the market in, in a multifamily in Seattle, in, in San Francisco, New York, Dallas, sure. Nashville. So, so what's going to happen? They're going to have to drop their rents. They're dropping. They're already dropping rents, and they're they're having longer vacancies, and all these people. And there's still more coming online. So you know we're going to see. Just like I said before, people who own multifamily are probably needing to have their performance show rental decreases, not increases, because there's oversupply. Right. I mean, but on, on the, at the same note, that's going to that's going to hurt single family as well. I think it, it's not, that's. I literally just came back from this this uh, economic uh, conference and there's actually more demand for there's not enough single family because builders have not been building that. So you actually have a dearth of single family while you've got oversupply of multifamily. So single family is still a great option in certain cities, not all, but in a lot of cities. Because people want backyards and parking pads rather than, um, you know, I think it goes both ways to be honest with you. I've I've had both examples. I do think that there's something to say about, having a backyard and a parking pad instead of a fancy bathroom and a stainless steel kitchen. Yet, at the same time, I own um, real estate around a college, uh, University of Maryland, and Crane's uh, last five years have been Crane City, and they've disrupted the rental market. Like Our our rents have dropped uh, significantly in a lot of the places uh, because the millennials or even the whatever you call them, cupcakes or whatever, right? The 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds don't want a backyard, don't want a parking pad. You know, they want a garage and an elevator and a gym and they want to live like the TV show Friends, right? Or Seinfeld where you're, you know, running around. It's like a, you know, 
big party. I mean, they, they like that. They like that atmosphere and they'd rather pay more money and, and live in luxury than, you know, live in an older house is what is what's happening in the market. So I think it works, but it can work both ways. I, I, I'm not convinced one way or the other. I do believe that there's definitely a market and I have properties in Baltimore city too, where people move out of really rough areas and move into these areas. I have some houses that, that have parking pads and backyards and those tenants do tend to stay forever. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, that, that is for sure. But yeah, so there's always opportunity. There's the opportunity zones. There's still single family rentals where you can get double digit returns uh, and, and still see price growth. Uh, there's, there's certainly apartments that uh, still have the value add and that you can get at higher cap rates and, and improve and, and uh, you know, increase rents. But, you know, it's just the time in this cycle to just be cautious. So the, the most important thing I would say to your listeners is if you're going to invest in somebody else's deal, make sure you really understand who you're dealing with. Who is the operator? What kind of experience do they have? Do they have more than a few years experience? Have they been through several cycles? Um, what, what did they do? If they did, how did they recover during 2008 when everything fell apart? What did they do? Um, if they can't answer those questions, then you need to make sure they have someone on their team who can or someone on your team that can review these deals. And can you get out quick if you and need? Can you get out? Yeah, I think more than ever you need to know now. Can I get it? Get out quick. You know, five years ago you you didn't need to know that as much, but I think today you need to know. Can you get out quick? So I got another question for you. I just read. You know, John Burns has a newsletter, and he recently said that the you, you know for years real estate agents have told their sellers, and and a National Association of Realtors has said. Equilibrium is six months of inventory, meaning if you have, if, if no more houses come on the market, it will take six months for this house to sell, right? For that, for, it will take six months for that inventory to be eaten up. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? Yeah, that would be, that would be considered a healthy market. Right. There, That's some... For years, they said that six yeah. months. Now he's saying with technology and with DocuSign and with the, with the way that everything is happening so much faster and the way loans are approved faster, title work's done faster, that that number is antiquated. It's actually four months when you net it out. Do you agree with that? I have not heard that before, but it does make sense. Though I don't know that technology has so much to do with it. It's really just supply demand. I, I would I would question it from that perspective. That if people want to buy property, uh, you know, they're going to find a way uh, to get there first and be the first to make the offer as soon as that sign goes up. Whether it's a signpost on the road or whether it's you know a really new high tech way of finding property. The the bottom line is how long are these properties sitting on the market? And in some places, depending on I mean, which market, but a lot of markets, it's still one month, uh, two months, uh, maybe three months. So fast, fast, fast moving. We're, we're not even at that four months if that, you know, if that analysis yeah, right. is correct. So there is... Um, like, we don't have to worry about that now. Let's worry about it when we get closer to four and then we'll say, ah, and that's equal. Then we'll question it. I mean, the biggest problem is builders have not been able to build single family homes uh, at a price that people can afford. I mean, we... We raised capital uh, for builders. Our, our investors make a nice return uh, partnering with these different developers, and, and we build homes. But they're not affordable. You know, I mean, they're affordable maybe for the area we're building in Reno because there's such massive job growth. But the the homes have literally gone up. We're, we're selling million dollar homes in Reno. I mean, 
it was it was just a few years ago that average home price was probably two or two hundred thousand or less. So a lot of these areas, uh, prices have gone up more than the than the locals can afford. You know, at least in Reno, we're not worried about it because the job growth is massive and it's only three to four hours away from San Francisco. So for San Franciscans, it's it's a a million dollar house is a bargain. Yeah, it's interesting. Let me ask you this. Um, so a couple of lender friends of mine have said that houses are over appraising in a lot of areas. What do, what do you think of that? Over appraising? Wow, I, I hadn't really heard that. Uh, I have not experienced that. But you know what, what we are seeing is price reductions. So a lot of people have um, you know, thought, oh, I'm going to really take advantage of this crazy market and, and put my, my property on the market for top dollar. And they're finding they're sitting longer on the high end. They are many at that six-month point, and we're seeing, and then we're seeing price reductions. But what's funny is if a property doesn't sell in the first month, people freak out, and they lower the price. That's so terrible. Kind of to, your, to your point, they, they, they've forgotten that a normal market historically has been six months. And if, I mean, I have this condo we're sitting in, this beach condo on the market, and, um, and it's been on the market for a few weeks, and I freaked out. I'm like, why hasn't it sold yet? And yeah. I, of course, I put it on top dollar, you know, almost double what we paid. You know? So people are just, we're a little spoiled. Well, I think technology has spoiled us. We, we, we expect everything yesterday. I mean, I, I you know, I, I was selling real estate back in the nineties and I used to put out postcards and, and brag sold in 60 days. Like, mm. you know, that was, that was bragging rights. If you got a house sold in 60 days, that was like, you better list with that agent. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think it's warped too. I think it's warped. So, but fascinating. Yeah. Well, well, th but this has been fun. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, I I will say that there are some people you you need to be careful with some companies that sell rental properties to foreign investors because a lot of times what they'll do is the foreign investors come in with cash, and um, or the the company themselves has cash and they'll buy a bunch of properties in the area with cash, raising the. Uh, you know, the price, the, the comps basically. And, and so that does create some maybe false appraisals. So you do need to be careful to find out, are the comps that are showing up on your appraisal, are they uh, sales from, you know, one company and particularly the company that you're, you're buying the property from? Yeah. And you could have a, you could have a whole market or a mini market, a hyper local market, be hurt by having too much of one investor in the same market. For instance, I, right. I own some Section 8 properties and I'll never buy Section 8 properties that are surrounded by other Section 8 properties because a lot of those might, you know, one guy might own 10 of them. And if he dies and his estate sells all 10 of them, my value could drop, you know, 30% in, mm -hmm. in a matter of six months just with his estate trying to dump all those properties. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, you got to so, be careful. So that, that makes sense with the, the, the Asian investors as well, you know? I mean, if they're buying up the whole neighborhood, they can sell the whole neighborhood. And, <laughs> and if they got deep pockets, they'll suppress the prices really fast. Yeah, I, you know, I, I expect that they wouldn't because that would only hurt themselves. It's kind of like when the banks figured out, oh my gosh, we're selling these foreclosures for so cheap, this is only hurting us, you know? And then they, that's when they let people just stay in, in their properties longer, not paying rent or just boarded up, uh, waiting for values to, to rise again. So I don't know that one seller would liquidate unless they went bankrupt. I mean, that happened with a company called Mac, which Mac Properties in Chicago, they owned hundreds, if not thousands, 
and um, they imploded because they ended up taking on a, a hedge fund and they, they grew too quickly and um, things didn't go well for them. And, and they did leave that market with thousands of properties, but it's Chicago, so thousands of properties on the market. Even that wasn't going to shake a city as big as, as Chicago, you know, investors. Yeah, and it's, and it's all long term. It's like Kiyosaki said, yeah, you, I've never lost money on, on real estate. You just don't sell. So you just, if, yeah. if you just never sell, yeah, you could say that. But yeah. if you're watching the markets, like you're saying, and you're sensitive to it, then, then yeah, it's, in, it's I, interesting. Anyways, I, I find that interesting. I had Kiyosaki on my show uh, 10 years ago or so. And, um, <laughs> and he was saying, he still says the same thing. Yeah. Well, he was saying then you've got to sell all your California property because it's in a bubble. This was 2006 and buy in Texas because it's the beginning of their boom. And he said, that's, that's what we did. We sold all of our property in California and we bought in Texas. So I don't know if, if it's true that he hasn't sold because he said it on my show. Uh, and then he's the one who taught me, oh my gosh. That, that, was, that, that was a brilliant move. It, and, it, and it taught me. And, and my listeners, uh, I first, I heard, I, as soon as I got off the interview with him, I <laughs> booked a flight to, to Dallas and and uh, my husband and I bought like, I don't know, eight properties there because we were like, yeah, this guy is on to something. It's totally overpriced in, in San Francisco, Bay Area, and most of California. And in Texas, you had all this job growth, all this population growth, but the housing costs had not caught up. So you could sell at the peak and exchange those properties tax deferred and buy in, in Texas. You could quintuple your cash flow. And, and uh, all of us who followed his advice and my listeners uh, we we didn't even feel the recession in Texas because there there wasn't really one. If you if you right, right, they didn't they they for for their whole life essentially Texas has been so stable until now, right? Yeah. Until now. So the big question is now, are they any different than California? You know what I mean? Like because their their prices have gone up, so they're like the rest of these markets that have got that you know have fluctuations all of a sudden. You can't say that anymore. Is what I'm saying. So it'd be interesting. I've got my eye on, on, on Dallas. I think Houston has a Houston might be one of the best markets to invest in right now because of they lost so much, so many homes, and, and uh, oil prices are coming back. But Dallas, Dallas, I, I'm a little concerned. There's definitely an oversupply of multifamily there. Uh, prices are up. If you look at the chart, it just goes woo. It's still in the affordability range because salaries have gone up too. But um, I wouldn't expect. I certainly wouldn't expect home prices to continue to rise in Dallas. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to watch, right? It's always mm -hmm. fun, fun to talk about and, and fun to watch. And, and yeah. uh, the key, I guess, is diversification, right? You just don't mm -hmm. plug all your investments in the same spot. And um, That's right. That's cool. It's a fun game. So, Kathy, this has been awesome. Listen, as you know, everybody that comes on the show offers a free gift. And what that free gift is, it's like a PDF download. It's something that people can print out, put in front of their, put on their cork board, use as a checklist, something they could use in their daily business. And I'm going to put all, I'm going to put your free gift up on, up in your show notes. I'm going to put all of Kathy's information in her show notes. If you guys want to reach out to her, you want to check out the Real Wealth Network, I'm going to put a link to her podcast in there as well. It's on my subscription list. So take a look at that too. And, um, and uh, so what is your free gift today, Kathy? Well, first of all, our membership is free at realwealthnetwork.com. And all you have to do is fill out the form there and it unlocks all this private data on different cities 
and on teams, uh, a referral to teams in, in those different cities that can help you buy a property and manage it and, and renovate it. They do it all for you. Um, so all of that's free. You just have to fill out the investor questionnaire. Um, and, and the main reason for that, I don't know what your rules are in Canada. In, in the U.S., we have private placements, which means that we cannot talk publicly about certain investments. You have to uh, be, we have to have a, a closer relationship with that, a pre-existing relationship. So when you fill out the form, uh, then we get to talk to you, and then it unlocks even more stuff on our website. Um, so it, that's all free at realwealthnetwork.com. We have an um, investor checklist that will help make sure that you mark off all the boxes when you buy investment property or invest in other people's deals to make sure that you're doing it right. All right, guys. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that investor checklist, and we're going to put it on hybendigital.com backslash real wealth, R-E-A-L, wealth, and number three. Hybendigital.com backslash real wealth three, the number three. Uh, you'll get your free investor checklist there. And I'm also going to put it in the agent success toolbox, which could be found on hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply texting the word toolbox to 444-999. It will be up there with hundreds of other free gifts that our guests have brought. Kathy, man, you are welcome back anytime. There's always such a high level conversation. You're so candid. You're so willing to be open-minded to discussions about, you know, the real world of real estate. And uh, I, I always enjoy them. I'm always like on red alert and very engaged. So thank, thanks yeah. for coming on and thanks for sharing all your knowledge and, and help with everything. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Love being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button. Yes, hit subscribe, please. The more subscribers that we get on Real Estate Rockstars, the better guests are attracted to the shows. We'll get more guests from the top companies, from the top teams, and even more celebrity guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. Also, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers. And I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.